everyone and welcome to our pilot episode of The Major Difference. Today we have a very special guest with us, Davs Howard, who is Major's Technical Director. Davs is here to talk with us about the subject of sustainability in web development. So without further ado, let's get into it. So to get us started, Davs, could you talk us through how long you've been involved in web development and how long you've been with Major? Yeah, so I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I started experimenting with the web back in 2002, back when it was Dreamweaver and all that kind of stuff. It was quite fun. Um, And then professionally since 2009, so a year before starting here at Major. So yeah, I joined as an intern back in 2010, quite a long time ago now. Is it that long? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. 13 years now. So I spent six weeks here as an internship and then joined as a web developer after that. Did that for four, four and a half years, about that before becoming head of digital for a team of one, at which point then we hired more developers and grew out a bit of a team. And then about five and a half years ago, I became technical director, a major, and now one of the, the key shareholders. So, Could you talk a bit more about what your role as technical director involves? Yeah, so it's kind of in the title, everything technical. So that spans the entire life cycle of a project. So everything up front from gathering and understanding what a client needs before we've even actually formally engaged, helping yeah. with formulating and describing a, a solution to that and therefore creating proposals, pitches. And then once we actually get starting working on a project, the scoping and architecting that goes in up front, working with the designers, working with the UX researchers and designers, and then in many projects actually being involved in the coding and development. If not, then obviously liaising with the development team on that to our implementation process, our quality assurance, UAT, content population, build, and then the ongoing stuff. So that regular maintenance and continuous improvement of our web projects as well. Yeah, so pretty um, much all the way through. Yeah, and then there's there's a lot of other things as well. Optimization of our processes, how can we become better at the way that we work, involved in hiring, especially in the dev team, making sure to stay up to date on industry innovations and what the tech stacks are doing and a whole load of stuff. Yeah, it's definitely, come quite a long way from the web developer that I started as. So today we're talking about sustainability in web development. Could you talk us through what that means to you and why it's an important consideration for for digital agencies? Yeah, so in all honesty, it's definitely a, a newer thing, I think, for us as an agency and also me personally. For many years, I remember seeing, you know, we'd get emails from clients at big business or things like that. And at the bottom, it would always say, save a tree, don't print this email. Yeah. Like, you know, it was always, how much, how can we move more stuff online in order to do better for the planet? Like that was a side effect of it, but that was always there. And then definitely over the last few years, I think we've seen such a shift that way that now it's almost gone too far. We've put everything online that maybe we didn't need to. So like, I think the internet produces, it's about 4% of global emissions. Now it's more than aviation. Yeah. It's a huge contributor to the carbon impact of the world. Um, and I think that figure was probably an estimate. Yes, yeah, a, a good few years old, I know. But I remember I did read one when doing research for a, a knowledge article recently that was, they estimate by, I think it's 2025, so only a couple of years away, that all global communication technology will be responsible for more carbon emissions than any country outside of China, India, and the States. Yes. So like it would be the fourth biggest country in global emissions for basically the internet and global communications, which is massive. Like, yeah. it's a huge amount of stuff. So, you know, we've we've done quite a lot of soul searching over the years. And personally, since becoming a dad, definitely kind of view on the world changes. And I think we've got a bit of a responsibility as creatives and creators on the web to minimize our impact. Our impact will be 
microscopic in the grand scheme of things, but we can definitely act as megaphones. Like if we can be doing things that have a positive impact, maybe they will rub off on our clients who might rub off on their colleagues who might rub off on their friends networks. And it's just about how far can you push that? We're at an early learning stage on that at the moment, but it's been something we've been implementing quite consistently for at least a year now. And we talked earlier, you work end to end. So you oversee all of the web projects at major. Could you talk through how major integrates sustainable practices into the web development process? Yeah, so we've definitely, I wouldn't say piecemealed, but we've introduced new things as we get more comfortable in a previous thing. So initially it was just being aware what are the things we could be doing. And then it was building in carbon budgets into our specifications for projects. Yeah. So it was benchmarking their, like a client's existing site, for example, and then saying, we want to hit the recommended target of under a gram per page per view. And let's set a benchmark for this site for that. So most of our development processes haven't had to change dramatically because we've focused on lean, fast websites for a good four or five years now anyway. So that has a huge impact into that approach. But it's, yeah, it's more knowledge and learning. And then how do we get more visibility for our clients on those things? So it's uh, one of the things we've just started doing is introducing auditing upfront of engaging with a client. So benchmarking their site and showing it that's an area that we could help them on. Advising clients on green hosting solutions, seeing whether clients have similar commitment to net zero by 2030, for example, as we have, and whether or not our efforts in their digital real estate will help with that essentially. And then just like continual learning as well. That's like such a key part of this is whether it is or not, it feels to me like quite an early youthful part of the web industry. And I think there's going to be so much more that we learn about over the coming years and different practices and different auditing metrics and different processes that I think it's important for us to try and keep on top of that as best we can. So to be a bit more specific, in terms of how you practically measure the sustainability of a website, could you maybe talk us through the the core pillars and metrics that you use at Major and what they mean? So at a fundamental level, there are a bunch of tools like the website carbon.com, Ecograder and other tools like that, where you can go in, punch in your website's URL, It'll take a little while and I'll come back with a calculation for you, which is a approximate estimate of the amount of carbon per view that web page will emit, essentially. And that's doing it at a page level, so you're giving it a discrete URL. Yeah, because obviously every page on a website is different. Some may have more videos, more <clears throat> images, etc., more content. So yep. there are varying degrees of that. That is performing essentially a crude algorithmic calculation on bandwidth, speed, the amount of time it takes for the page to download, the size of the page, the types of hosting that it's using, things like that to come up with the estimate. Underneath that, a huge amount of research has gone in into how to calculate how much energy a website uses because yeah. it's so, so varied. There are three core parts you've got to consider. One is the actual embodied energy that the things that you are using have required to be created. Like how much energy went into creating that hard drive and creating your phone and your laptop and all that stuff. There's the energy required to deliver your website across servers, storing it on content delivery networks. And then there's how do you measure the energy requirements once you've got said website of it being used on your phone. So the or kind your, of- Or your desktop at home. Or your desktop. Or, yeah. So the, the computational power it takes to pass that and render that page. Um, whether or not you're revisiting a site. So uh, hopefully a large degree of that has been cached. 
so that massively reduces the you don't have to retransmit tons of the data if it's already there yeah so there is a collective between a whole bunch of companies including whole grain digital the green web foundation and others that have tried to come up with this new open standard for estimating carbon emissions for digital products yeah so and that's the one that these tools generally use the where it becomes really difficult is understanding what the boundaries are for the different things that you want to consider its energy usage up because if your boundary is far too wide your estimates are going to be far too high and everything's going to be terrible equally if they're far too narrow you're not going to have an accurate rep representation of stuff yeah it's the best metric we have right now so it is one that will allow you to at least equally compare certain sites to other sites and will give you a benchmark in order to go this is now better than it was before at a very crude level though it comes down to how small slash fast is your site and where is it hosted those are like the two biggest things you can do in order to actually produce a site that has a lower carbon impact than a different site doing the same things that's kind of where it comes down to I guess another key factor for us as well is balancing the need to deliver visually appealing and feature-rich websites whilst trying to manage that minimum carbon footprint. Can you talk us through how we do that as a balancing act? Yeah, it is. And thankfully, most of the low-hanging fruit in order of for the tasks that you can do in order to actually minimise the carbon impact of a site are things that don't directly impact the visual design or the brand experience of a site. Yeah. Most of them are technical optimizations, so things like image compression, making sure images are outputted at the right size, caching or the use of a content delivery network, reducing third-party scripts. If you don't need the analytics tool, don't have it. If you're not using this tool, take it off. Choosing tools that are small, so choosing tools that favor smaller file sizes because it, that's only the functionality you need over bigger tools that do loads, but you're only using 5% of their features, again, kind of facilitates that sending and storing fewer files yeah like especially if it's things like uh, database backups or you know it's, we're talking totally different scales if we get into the world of big data the amount of files we're storing on client brochure sites is totally different than the amount of stuff google or facebook or amazon is storing like it's totally different uh, like universes i think a lot of the tool sets we use as well have features you know for example uploading a two meg image on the fly it will optimize that to minimize the stored footprint of that yeah and there's there's again there's the there's two factors to that if you upload a, an image let's say yeah it's two megabytes in size you could be outputting a much smaller image size to the user which is probably 99 percent of the importance because that's the one that's going to be hit and used more yeah but then you are still storing a two meg image on a server that maybe you only need a 100 kilobyte version yeah. in isolation that's not important it's not an issue it's all about degrees of scale if you've got a million of those images that suddenly actually matters a bit more a couple of the other things things like obviously geographically locating your server or your hosting near wherever someone is accessing it from so hence the benefit of content delivery networks and then there's a few more design things to consider so avoiding lots of large auto-playing video like sometimes it's finding that balance between the message we want to portray or the feature sets we want to do but it's can you find a balance for minimizing that and then just avoiding large scales of unrequired data or files like years of backups of websites that you're never going to use again or huge databases of users or massive image file storages in like a digital asset management tool where you've got them stored there 
just in case. Yeah. Can you minimize that or move it onto a cold storage? I don't think today we've actually had like a, a quote unquote design restraint imposed by trying to make sites faster or more energy efficient that couldn't have been solved by a different technical solution. Yeah. So it's not really anything that I think people should worry about. There can be conversations around uh, there are colors that are more energy efficient, but that is largely dependent on the screens that people are using. And it becomes very difficult to actually quantify those. And obviously, you're always balancing function and feature as well. Platforms or products that do a lot more things will need a lot more things. So it's it kind of comes down to, are those things required? And are they required for that user at that time? And can you always offload things there? I think from a client side as well, we quite often, I mean, historically, as we've gone through and delivered sites, there's that classic situation where a client will come to us and say, I, I need a CMS. I need the whole site to be delivered on a content management system. And then a year later, they've probably managed 1% of that site using a CMS. So that technical overhead and footprint and ultimately a carbon impact was completely unnecessary for their requirements. Yeah. And for all of these things, there is always the caveat of, is that impact really important? Well, in isolation, it may not be, but collectively and at scale definitely is. Yeah. Like if every agency out there has two clients who have done something use the cms store tons of images use loads of video that really they didn't need to do and then there's thirty thousand agencies that suddenly start scaling up quite quickly so there's definitely things around that and also when you think about it you think of a traditional monolithic cms versus the shift towards what we used to call jamstack and now composable technologies if that page hadn't been updated for a year Every time someone is hitting that page, if it was on a monolithic CMS versus a composable situation, the carbon impact is going to be significantly greater every time that server is hit versus a pre-compiled page. Yeah, again, comes comes down to scale. Yeah, That's why, you know, there is a target set of per page view. But if your site is hit 100,000 times more than a different site, the optimization impact of that is going to be so much greater. Okay, we're kind of touching on technologies and platforms. In terms of any specific coding practices or tools or frameworks that, that we use at Major, could you talk through what we use and how we approach technology to ensure that we're delivering sustainable websites and mm -hmm. maybe give us some examples? So a lot of the things are things I've kind of touched upon already. A lot of them, I think, are techniques rather than frameworks. So it is image optimization, file sizing, hosting, content delivery network, caching, that kind of stuff. I think that should always be the go-to. That is what's going to deliver you the maximum benefit. We really like the headless and the composable infrastructure. That's definitely where we've settled upon in the last few years. What we used to call Jamstack. Yeah, so the idea of rather than a more traditional CMS setup like WordPress or Kentico or Sitecore where your CMS is stored on a server, and when the user hits your domain, it calls off to the server, generates the page and sends it back. A headless environment decouples that content and front-end delivery. You can still have the kind of server-side on-demand call, but you are still separating your CMS and front-end output into two different areas. And the one of the big benefits is the ease at which you can do static site generation. Yeah. So that is where you are essentially having your content stored in a system somewhere. That could be any number of headless CMSs like Prismic, Storyblock, Contentful, WordPress, for example. Yeah. And then you call that data in a structured format and then output it as you see fit as the development team. Just jumping in there for anyone, we mentioned the word Jamstack for anyone who's listening. That stands for JavaScript, APIs and markup. And it's 
it's a phrase that's been used fairly frequently over the last few years and now seems to be retired. If you look on our website, there's a really good blog article about the technology. But when we when we talk about Jamstack moving forward, we're talking about composable approaches. Yeah. And that, that and is headless. kind of just a shift of, again, where the technology landscape is, is ending up. And it is Jamstack is a term to explain a type of technology that has advanced and evolved beyond that now. But the static site generation approach is you have your code, you call off to your headless CMS or wherever your data is stored, and you pre-compile every page and every possible page that you may need on your website. For certain websites, this is unachievable or infeasible because maybe user data or the scale of stuff, but for lots of applications, it will work. And that page being pre-compiled means it's so much faster because it's not having to be built on the fly. Optimizations become a lot easier. You avoid that server overhead. That is an area where you can get massive performance, speed, and website size benefits from. Obviously, the deployment of that on content delivery networks is easier as well because you're not relying on a, a specific server, but there's always pros and cons with all these technologies. I think other things, there are like obviously tools you can implement on a site-by-site -site basis, so things to either help you resize or compress your images, yeah. either on upload and on delivery to users. Lots of platforms offer those out of the box or allow you to integrate other services like Cloudinary. Modular code frameworks, things that assist you doing that automatically as a developer are obviously delightful, but if not, then manually implementing those practices. So let's say you've got a carousel or an accordion or something on a page, but that's the only page it's loaded to call that file only on that page. Similar kind of technique to lazy loading where you're offsetting the loading of an image or a file or something until it's needed. That could be as you scroll down the page or as you interact and click on a certain button or whatever it may be, things like that. And some of these are just good web practice, good practices, aren't they? regardless. So they have multi-benefits, but those are general good practices for producing fast, more environmentally friendly sites. There is uh, an approach that's gaining a bit of traction called carbon aware design. And that is where you tailor the output of the website to the environment it's being viewed in. So that could be if someone is on a low bandwidth or a low power phone, they're maybe not showing images by default because yeah. the energy usage for them is going to be so much higher because of the time it's going to take to actually pass that page. Equally, there are sites out there now that will tailor the output of their site based on the either the time of day on the region they're at or actually connecting to services that will tell you like what the electrical grid impact is at the moment. Yeah. So if there's a huge amount of electricity being used on the local grid, it will show you a more carbon aware version of the site where maybe it will reduce a bunch of features or images or whatever it may be and still allow you those features, but they become optional. You choose to opt into them by clicking and stuff rather than downloading them by default. And I do remember there's this one site where you can go to it and it's being powered by a solar panel that has a limited battery life. So if wherever that battery and solar panel is stored hasn't had the sufficient amount of sunlight over a certain period of time and too many people are visiting the site, it will go offline until it recharges and things like that. And a carbon-aware website. Yeah, whether or not they become... They're, they're definitely not suitable for every website. They're definitely fun experiments and things yeah. that are quite uh, eye-opening in that kind of space. But yeah, carbon-aware design is definitely something that's out there. We've not done anything on it to date. I think it'd be quite fun to do a project on it at some point. But yeah, that's definitely something there. And then yeah, kind of just circling back to what we do here, I think a lot of it is, again, baking all of this stuff into your process. So having some kind of optimization process and your developers and designers having this knowledge up front so that it's not coming in as an afterthought, I think is really important. Yeah, that's a good point. When you've got a new client and you're looking to educate them on the importance of sustainability and 
and trying to convince them to prioritize it as part of the project. How do you approach that? It kind of depends on the client at the end of the day. I think there's definitely multiple avenues we can take on that. One is the fact that there are multiple benefits to all of these things. It's not like doing this is only a digital sustainability benefit. Faster sites are better for your SEO. They're better for user experience. So there's always that multi benefit approach that's definitely one way we can do one is what are their the company net zero sustainability goals do they have targets or commitments in place in which case things like their website and their, their digital real estate they all need to go in towards that and then the other is people's moral feeling of obligation feeling that they should do their part however small the same way that you know we all recycle now that wasn't the case 30 years ago whatever if we can get to a point where just for every web project people are just at the very least considering this and thinking should i be doing this should i not it's, it's the easiest way i think that's that's an important point i know we're seeing a lot more of our clients probably the larger clients who need to report a scope one two and three emissions they're looking down their supply chains and looking at how their suppliers are helping them achieve those goals in those you know in those tier one two and three yeah, yeah. scope i know we've certainly seen an increase in that level of, of interest what would you say to people who are looking to integrate sustainability into their web development practices have you got any actionable tips or, or resources that you'd recommend they look at or adopt so i think the, the, the starting place is, is to learn so it's go away i'm sure we'll add a bunch of things into the show notes but there's a variety of different websites that are really good, some books that are really good. There's a, a newsletter called Curiously Green by Whole Grain Digital, which is brilliant. It's like a monthly newsletter with a bunch of things in the sustainability ecosystem. Yeah, It's all really, really good. I think regular reviews, either internally or with clients, include it as part of your ongoing service with them or your internal, however your agency or company internally reviews, essentially, ensure it becomes part of that. Getting a degree of understanding as as things change, trying to keep on top of that. Obviously, that's where agencies like ourselves, we do that part on behalf of our clients. So that's really good. Teach where you can. So learn, impart that knowledge onto other people, even if it's through soft methods of just chatting with your colleagues about it. It doesn't have to be like a formalized, you know, training schedule or anything. Yeah. For actually running web projects, I think having benchmarks is really important. So targets to aim, aim towards. And again, considering it at the start of a project, not either midway through or once you've finished. And then try and yeah use some of the tools that are out there to actually see how you do at the moment. Is it something you could definitely improve? So looking to the future, Davs, you've been involved in web development for over 15 years. And I guess one of the things we've all learned is that new web technologies and trends emerge frequently. How do you stay current and up to date with both the latest web technologies and those pertaining to sustainable web practices? And can you recommend any websites or podcasts or, or sources of information that you use regularly? So yeah, there's a, a few that I definitely follow or subscribe, predominantly those that promote positive digital sustainability. So there's the sustainablewebdesign.org website, which is amazing. It's got yeah. so much information on there, especially specifics around design, development, critical thinking, that kind of stuff. There's the whole grain digital newsletter that I mentioned, Curiously Green, that's really good. I, mean, I like to think our own newsletter and knowledge posts, can do, doing a lot of research and trying to, again, impart a degree of that knowledge as best as we can. EFWA, who the Eco-Friendly Web Alliance, yep. they've, their site's really good and they've got uh, a variety of different posts that go up on there, updating things. And then anything relating to performance optimization, data reduction, things like that. So just trying to have a wider touch point on the industry and wider web and digital trends and seeing what things maybe aren't directly considered as positive sustainability efforts, but definitely have that as a side effect. And in terms of future trends, if I asked you what you saw as the top three 
mm. future trends in sustainable web development, what would your would your answer be? I think there's going to be just a general focus on it, so a much stronger focus on digital sustainability, whether that's something people actively look for during pitches or proposals, or if it's things that agencies are recommending to other clients, and just it being more cognizant during a web development process, kind of as we have been with data privacy, especially since GDPR yeah. and a couple of years prior to that, it becomes just another aspect of that. I think that's going to be the case. What else? Green hosting, I think definitely. A, it's it's such a, I say easy, from a client and an agency's point of view, it's an easy win. Getting a website onto green hosting is only a benefit. So I imagine more companies will offer it. It may even become the de facto standard eventually. So there's that. You've got you've got companies like Crystal Hosting here. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're totally committed to delivering all of their, their servers and hosting infrastructure yeah. on renewable yeah, energy. Yeah, so I think that's really important. And then the other one, oh, definitely data compression and deduplication of things at scale. So this always reminds me, and I, I did add it in our knowledge article recently. I remember it was about, it was like 2015-ish when Google released their new their new logo, the one we kind of know and see today. And I remember at the time there's a blog article about it and they were saying about how tailored the vector so precisely that they managed to reduce the file size of that logo by nine kilobytes. And then I saw another article explain why that was such a big deal because at the time Google was getting like, you know, eight and a half billion searches or some really high number like that. And just on their search things, it saved, it was like nearly 60 terabytes of data a day. Yeah. And I remember the article explaining, saying, based on the cost of bandwidth at the time, that was saving Google 10K a month or something, or 10K a day. So it was that's, like, a, it was, that's a really important point. It was know. viewed as this huge financial saving. And like, because they'd made, you know, they didn't change their logo because of that, but they were able to, through that simplification, make this massive saving. And I wonder now if the same thing happened, whether the financial part would be the go-to or if actually the potential carbon saving would be the go-to. So imagine, I think I worked out it was like 20 or 21 petabytes of annual data from that one small change at this one company. Imagine if lots of companies did lots of changes like that. Yeah. That suddenly has this huge impact. So I, I suspect in the next few years we'll hear more about the changes big companies are making that have these kind of impacts and maybe we'll move away from a financial perspective on it and more to the sustainability aspect because it's only in their benefit to do so. And I think with the advent of artificial intelligence and the, the computational mm. power required to, to power that step change in technology, I think how that's going to be powered physically yeah. you know, from, from an energy use point of view is going to be, I think, quite important and at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Just wrapping up, one of the things that major we collect around is the, the thought of the, the belief of better, doing mm -hmm. things better, making things better every day. If you were going to recommend one thing that our listeners could, could do to improve the sustainability of their website, what would it be, that one thing? De definitely tackle that any of that low-hanging fruit. Image optimization, removing non-critical third-party scripts. So any of those things where you can have quite big savings, immediately those. And one of the questions that we ask all of our all of our interviewees is, and this is going to be an interesting one, if you could imagine tomorrow you were given control of all advertising and media space in the UK for 24 hours, every billboard, banner ad, TV ad, whatever form of media in the country, what would you say and why? I think mine will be probably the most boring answer we get so far, and it <laughs> will be definitely a promotion of major, and it would be just in the belief of better majordigital.com nice so cryptic but uplifting at the same time and just kind of leave it there whether it's the best ad or not i don't know but that's that's where i'd go <laughs> nice have you got any plugs or this podcast 
my plug is this podcast. Okay, We've been you... talking about it for so long, wanting to do it for so long to actually get started is really exciting. So this podcast and our newsletter, it's going to be those two things. Okay. How, how do people find our newsletter? Via our website, so majordigital.com slash newsletter. And eventually we will get, when this all goes live, there'll be a page on our website for majordigital.com slash podcast. So Davs, thank you so much for your time today. It was a really interesting chat. Hope you enjoyed it. I did. It was really fun. I'm glad to actually have got this got this started and got this sorted. <laughs> for people listening, all of the resources we talked about will be in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today, please do subscribe and let your friends know. We uh, we really genuinely appreciate it. So for those of you that have been listening, thank you for tuning in today to this episode of The Major Difference. And until next time, stay curious and keep making a difference. You've been listening to The Major Difference, brought to you by Major Digital, hosted by James Harrington and produced by Martin McDermott. If you want to continue the conversation, then please do reach out to us on LinkedIn and use the hashtag MajorDifference or visit MajorDigital.com to discover how Major can elevate your digital brand experiences. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Your support really helps us spread our belief of better and reach more listeners like you who want to make a major difference. So until next time, stay curious and keep making a difference.